0: So, we are going to be reading from Jeremiah 2. We're, we're reading through the Bible in just under two years, more than halfway through. We just finished up Jeremiah last week, um, beginning of last week, I think. And I was, not, I was not with you last week, I was at the men's retreat where great things happened. But uh, I wanted to go back, and I've been, I was praying that God would show me which passage uh, to, to preach from, and I really felt that this, this landed with me, actually. I was praying about this this passage from today in, in Jeremiah 2. I, I'd read it, obviously, with the, with the readings. And um, I was praying, God, you know, what, what do you want to say to your people? And then one of the hymns that the other pastor, Nate, asked me to learn for tonight's hymn sing was about uh, the, the cistern, broken cisterns. So I'm like, wow, that's interesting. So, got some wisdom there. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but you will pretty soon. So why don't we read just this, this passage, Jeremiah 2, 11, um, 11 through 13. Then we'll pray, and we'll, we'll see what God has to say to us through this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are no go- not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your written word which you preserved for us. We thank you for your care in the the inspiring every author of this book preserving it bringing it together so that we could have your words to us father we confess we strain and to understand sometimes so i pray that today you'd make this clear as to what this means for us so that we can walk in a deeper fellowship with you god we thank you that your conviction in our lives is meant to help us so that we can drink deeper of the good things that you desire to pour out in your people. And I pray that today that conviction would come so that we might turn away from sin, turn towards you, the living water. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is this is a metaphor, obviously, that, that God is using to talk to his people through Jeremiah. He's talking about a broken cistern. And what is a cistern? Well, they have brethren and cistern, right? That's what people say. No, that's not, that's not it. Um, a cistern is a device for gathering water. In the ancient world, you had three options. You had the beautiful, refreshing. I feel like I should talk in an Australian accent. Beautiful, refreshing. Fresh running water flowing from the spring or stream. Look at that. And that's good stuff. And you see people, even now, the road I grew up on, the Fish House Road, people go to the side of the road and they fill their, their jugs with water. They do it at the park, too. Fill our glass jugs with water. Good, clean, fresh water. That's option number one in a very desert-like climate in the Middle East. Option number two, this very realistic-looking picture. This is a well. an ancient. This was on an archaeology website to kind of show what what it was like. But they would dig deep, and they would have these wells. And, And you see a lot in the Old Testament that water was a big deal because it was a scarce commodity there in a desert climate. And so... These wells were, were like precious, and Abraham dug a well. And people tried to steal each other's wells. All kinds of, um, the enemy would try to poison the well or stop up the well. You know, if you if you didn't have water, you were in big trouble in the desert, right? So this is the second way to get water. Also a pretty good option, not quite as good as the first. And then you have a cistern. A cistern is a uh, a place where runoff water can flow into a pit carved in limestone, which is plastered on the inside to prevent leaking. And so this, this would essentially pick up rainwater, and may, maybe it would come out of a spring, but it would be gathered in this cistern, and it would, it would sit there. Um, these cisterns didn't collect only water, but they also collected delicious things like silt and mosquito larvae. That's really gross, right? Super gross. So even when these things worked properly, this was not ideal. This is option number three. Uh, and a broken one is what God talks about in this passage today. So, with these images in mind, we're going to go through this passage again and just meditate on, on this, this meaning. You'll notice that God mentions two of these types of water from our pictures. Has a nation ever changed its gods? They are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. That's pretty impactful. And what have they done? They've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns. that cannot hold water. It's so not only have they used the worst kind, of replaced the good stuff for the very worst stuff, but it's broken. It can't hold water. It's stagnant. Silt and bugs and nasty stuff is in that water. What little little water might be left in it, if any, Um, it's bad. God reminds his people in the beginning of our passage something that's very kind of striking. In Jeremiah 2.11 he says, Has a nation ever changed its gods? yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. So in this, God is saying, the other cultures around Israel, those people don't even change their gods. And their gods are not really gods at all. They're worthless. The culture in those days did not forsake their ancestral deities. There was too much fear of what could happen and superstition about what could happen if they were to do that. So they took, they took their false worship of, of false gods, which were not gods at all, very seriously, and held on and were faithful to their unGods. But Israel, God's people, took the living God, the only true God, and forsook him, turned their backs on him in favor of lesser gods, which were not gods at all. This is a very striking kind of statement to make. He's essentially saying even people that don't, that, that don't know better, that are not my people, have the sense to hold on to their fake gods, and my people have no sense. They've forsaken the good stuff in favor of a broken cistern that cannot hold water. What's the image there? It's something that never worked. They built something that is the worst option for getting water, and it was broken from the beginning, would never work. God is reasoning with his people. What are you doing? What are you doing? In verse 12, God says through Jeremiah, Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. God says to his beautiful universe within universe, galaxies, you know, ever expanding universe that's that's running. Like a like a like a German train or a clock, right? A Swiss clock. He's saying, "Look how appalling my people are to the rest of creation. Shudder! Look look how look how intricate my creation is, and look at these people. It's it's horrific. They've exchanged the true God for something that is no God at all." The problem with uh, with uh, with this passage is it's so incredibly relatable. That's our problem. That's our problem. But it's also a great help. Because with conviction, what, what God is trying to give us is something really good. He's trying to give us living water. But all of us turn away from God. We have an internal mechanism. The Bible calls it the flesh um, that's, that's fallen in sin. We do not want to submit to the one true God because he's the one true God. He's actually God. We'd rather have other things in our lives that, that do not hold us accountable, that we can control to some degree. There's something inside every person, the, our fallenness, our sinfulness, our rebellious nature. We exchange the truth of God, the living water, for a lie that this broken cistern will somehow nourish our souls. And it won't. But our whole, our whole world is just built around Broken cisterns. Maybe you can I don't know if you can imagine, you know, the last time that you sinned, did something you knew knew was wrong and, and God wouldn't want you to do, and it seemed like such a great thing, and then afterwards you just feel that emptiness, that sucking dark emptiness inside. That this broken cistern is never going to feed what my soul is hungry for. No, we, are, we are restlessly worshipful people. We, we are created to worship. We are created to worship God. But our restless worshiping nature, if we don't worship God, the living water, other things will come in and we will, we will end up worshiping them. That's what will happen. That's how God's created us to be. Everyone worships. We reject the body and blood of Jesus Christ because we say, you know what? I have, I have another plan. I have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. And we reject what God's offered to us, the living water, Jesus Christ. We, we exchange allegiance to the one true God for something that is less threatening to our ego, to ourselves, to our sin. Uh, something where we can live half-heartedly. Um, but God, for good reason, calls us to a wholehearted devotion to him. Because the reason God calls us to that is because God has something so much better for us. That's, that Psalm 36 that I read to you guys earlier, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty like uh, harsh in the beginning. And people often misunderstand God. They think that He's a hard um, person. You know, in the parables of Jesus, you know, that God is a hard taskmaster. But the reason that God is so sometimes convicting of us in our lives is because He has something so much better for us than we're getting. God knows that there's a thirst in us that cannot be quenched by these broken cisterns, by these sins, by this idolatry. And that unless we deal with that stuff, we're not going to get to the good stuff. That's what God's all about. He wants us to get to the good stuff. And so he says, there's no fear of God before these people. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. That's very relatable. <laughs> we flatter ourselves too much, so much that we don't even detect how God's convicting us. The words of our mouth are wicked. We cease to be wise, to do good. We commit ourselves to a sinful course, and we do not reject what is wrong. This is the problem with with people, all of us, um, that we tend to turn from God and rebel against him. So God points all this stuff out in Psalm 36. Then he says, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains Your justice like the great deep. You preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. You see, there's something so much better for people. But we're so busy digging and creating these cisterns that never really work anyway, where we get our, our source, where we get our, our water, that we think, you know, I don't even detect what the problem is, God. I'm just so caught up in my own stuff. But God has something better for us. That's why God brings these things to mind. A lot of times in the Old Testament, you read about idolatry, and you think, well, you know, we're not like bowing down to idols, most of us. I mean, sometimes when we go to like a Thai restaurant, there's like a Buddha up there with like a rice, rice bowl and stuff, right? That stuff's around. There's, there's idolatry in the world, certainly, in different countries. There's some idolatry in the U.S. Like we're talking about images carved in stone or wood. That stuff exists. But by and large, Most people don't bow down to an image or to, uh, like, a deity. In the United States, um, idolatry looks a little different. Idolatry is really actually woven into the fabric of our society. It really is. And we read the word idolatry and we think, oh, that's kind of like a then problem, and maybe another part of the world, it's not a me problem. But the Bible actually teaches something really interesting about idolatry that I didn't see before I looked into it this week. Uh, it makes a very interesting comment. It's the Ephesians passage. So look at this passage about idolatry. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, those are all things we can relate to, right? That's sin. That's the stuff we know, we know what that is. Such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Isn't that interesting? The Bible actually says that sin itself is idolatry. And those immoral, impure, greedy, those words are a pretty good summary of all the lists of sins in the Bible. They're pretty good. They kind of cover all of it. It's saying people that are lost in sin, it's idolatry. So when the Old Testament talks about idolatry, we have to realize we're we're idolatrous too. But we're idolatrous in in the American way. Greed. Immorality. Impurity. Um, You could add to that list many, many uh, things. But it's so hidden in our, in our world that we often don't equate those two things. Sin is idolatry. It promises to fill a thirst in our lives that each of us has, which comes from God. But sin leaves us empty of God's living water because when we sin, we're relying on ourselves to satisfy the spiritual thirst that God's placed in every single one of us. And God has a better way. God has something much better for us. This is the definition I came up with. Sin, idolatry, is whenever we draw from something or someone what God designed us to draw from him alone. The source of life, the spring of living water. The people of Jeremiah's day were so, uh, so lost that they really thought everything was fine. In fact, Jeremiah was the only one that was saying the things he was saying, and it says, I believe the only righteous person there. And Jeremiah is pleading with God on behalf of these people who had dug their broken cisterns and were not coming to God. But everyone in that society thought, everything's good. What's wrong with this prophet? Like, why is he saying these disturbing things to us? This is annoying. Like, we're good. We're God's people. He loves us. Everything's fine. Here's something really ironic that happened. I could not believe this. You know, I, d- I just didn't put the two together. In Jeremiah 38, 6. Jeremiah, being as unpopular as he is, gets put inside of a, an empty cistern with mud in the bottom. So here the prophet who was saying God's word, you know, my people have forsaken me and gone to, gone to broken cisterns. They take that guy and they put him inside of an empty cistern. And he, it says he sunk into the mud. <laughs> I'm sure that that irony was not lost on poor Jeremiah who they called the weeping prophet. That's a pretty, pretty much a big bummer. But think of how deluded these people were, like how insane they were, that not only did they not recognize God's conviction to them, which was, which was correct and good and right, and the idolatry and the sin in their lives, but they said, let's take this guy and throw him in a cistern. They'd forgotten the, the metaphor, I think. <laughs> Maybe it was a broken cistern. I mean, the poetry could be complete. But the truth is that in church, you know, Soper, John Soper said that the, the, the churches that are in the most trouble, the deadest churches, are populated by people that think that all is well in their lives. They don't have a view to, to the greater things that God has for them, and they satisfy themselves with broken cisterns and a little church on the side, and they miss out on the springs of living water. The springs of living water, uh, which Jesus actually identifies as being himself in the Bible. Jesus says, I am the spring of the living water. So, it's not that God's being mean when he's pointing out sin in our lives and idolatry. He's saying, this is not why I created you, for this very short period of time, to live on the earth. I want you to drink deeply of my delights. What What is that? That kind of language from Psalm 36? That's crazy stuff. God wants us to, to, to know him in a much deeper way than most of us do. Not a casual way. He wants close, close, Uh, people, close friends of us. Moses was a friend of God. After a while, they became good friends. And um, Jesus says, I no no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. God's ultimate goal is that we would come to a place where we see our sin and our our idolatry, where we make a hard turn away from it, a hard turn away from it, and go after the good stuff. Um, It's really about living life and life to the full. That's what Jesus said. I have come to give life and life abundantly. But you cannot give abundant life to a people who are drinking from broken cisterns. Uh, They're they already filled with mosquito larvae and silt and dirt, you know? Jesus is so much superior to the broken cistern. Think about it. First of all, he's, he's not a fixed cistern. He's not a well. He is a river of living water. That's so much, that's like four steps superior to the, to the junk that we put into our lives. So here's poor Jeremiah sinking into the mud in the broken cistern. And we, we like Jeremiah, we take the voices we don't like and we throw them in the, in the cistern and we go after the things that make us feel good. But the Bible, I've been really studying, trying to learn, you know, what, what, what pleases God? You know, how do I look into my own life and see the things that are out of alignment so that I can turn from them and get more of God, right? The Bible has all these lists. Wrongdoers, and this is all by God's definition too. We can't go into all of this. Wrongdoers, sexually immoral. It's very constrained definitions of what that means. Unjust, cheaters, impure, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. These are ones that are really day-to-day ones, guys. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers. These are all things that we can certainly see in our own life, in our own world. We can look at our lives and see these things. This is idolatry. These are the things that keep us from that amazing spring of living water, which, by the way, wells up to everlasting life. If you drink from a broken cistern long enough, and you think all is well long enough, you might be deluded on your deathbed and think that you are, are fine with God, but you're not. Um, we have to look at these things carefully. I'm going to read in closing from John 4. This is where Jesus, in John 4 and John 7, he identifies himself as the living water from God. Jesus' living water is so much more amazing than what was in the Old Testament that Jeremiah was talking to these people about. Jesus made a way for everyone to come to him, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their past, regardless of their... any, any kind of factors you can think of. Jesus made a, God made a way through Christ for anyone to come to him, from the worst sinner to the, to the person that's most lost to the person that supposes themselves to be close by to God. God made a way for all of us to come to him, a living hope, um, and to drink deeply of this living water. Let's look at this case study John 4, 4.24. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees, the religious folks, had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. There's some um, racism between Jews and Samaritans, and Jesus did not abide by that racism. Um, he went through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Well is pretty good. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? All right, so it explains for us, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And notice you said Samaritan woman. He, mel- he melted the categories, people. He melted sexism, racism, when he came. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water, spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. And the fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. So she's living with some guy that's not her husband. What you have said is just is quite true. Sirs, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Ding, 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 ding. She got it. She, 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 apparently Jesus would hit the nail on the head with this lady. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. You Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, has now come, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is a cool story. Sexism, racism goes to this woman against the culture of his day. He says, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking for my living water, the good stuff. And... Uh, She says, well, I'd like that. And he goes, well, there's a problem. You have sin in your life. I have something better for you. And um, presumably, this woman repented, received the living water of Jesus Christ, but she had to turn. She had to turn. A hard turn. And that's what God's calling us to do. We can't be 50-50. We can't be half in, half out. This is a this is a, uh, a serious thing. If we want the good stuff, we've got to give God everything. So turn from your sin. You know what it is. I can't, I can't read into your heart. I'm not Jesus the prophet right now. I don't have the time or the resources to know everything, but you know. You know where the sin and idolatry is in your life. Whenever you draw from something or someone what God designed you to draw from him alone, thats idolatry and sin, turn from that and turn towards Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that anyone who believes in him will have the spirit inside of them and it will well up to everlasting life. But it's not for everyone. Some people would prefer to throw this sermon into the cistern and let it sink into the mud. But God has something better for those who are willing to take him at his word. There is something better. It's like what Mike talked about in his faith story. What's holding you back? What is it? It's time to come to Jesus. Father, no music, no no more words. We know what you're convicting us of. And we see clearly the reason that you want us to live full and abundant lives in Christ. For those who are willing, God, I pray this prayer, that, Lord, we set these things aside to go after the good stuff. We believe there is more and we want more of you. Give us the strength and the courage to share with somebody, to get some help, to get some prayer, so that we can really start living this abundant life you intend for your children. In Jesus' name, amen.